fan. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. All righty. Good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Chase Wilsey here as your host for the next hour to, to get you through that um, hour of investing, financial news, and always important to talk about what you want to talk about to give you that no strings attached fundamental opinion again about what you want to discuss uh, you want to call in later in the show uh, phone number here is 833-288-0973 again that's 833-288-0973 but but first i want to talk a little bit about what's been going on this past week uh very interesting week in the market, as always. You know, things all over the place. Oh, my gosh, COVID concerns resurfacing. What's going on? Stock market's up, stock market's down. Uh, you know, things things moving quite a bit. Uh, but first, want to discuss the bond market. I, I, I got to say here, I, I really think the bond market is way too focused on this Omicron variant. I, I mean, we saw the 10-year note. It slid under 1.4% yesterday and closed today about 1.4% on the dot. And, and I just got to believe that the market is missing the boat on inflation, and especially with the Fed reducing its bond buying to just $60 billion per month in January from $120 billion per month in November. And they said, too, likely raising rates three times. I, I would not be surprised to see interest rates climb quite quickly in 2022. And again, I, I want to bring up, I, I believe the bond market is just looking way too much at, at, at this COVID concern. And, you know, here in California, we have the mask mandates kind of getting re-implemented. We've seen in other states as well. And, you know, kind of seeing other employers pulling back on going back to the office. But I, I do think 2022, I, I would not be surprised to see that 10-year note spike back to 1.75, 2% even. And it, it can move very, very quickly. And especially with the, the Fed starting to ease on its monetary policy and, and actually not buying bonds any longer. And, and they did say that they believe that bond buying should be done around the March time frame. And the reason that's so important is right now that's a big buyer in that market. So what happens is as the Fed is buying those bonds, well, it's creating demand, which keeps that interest rate low. You pull out that $120 billion, now you reduce that demand, and as it's important to point out as bond prices go up, that's because interest rates are falling. But if interest rates rise, that creates bond prices to go down. So I'd be very, very cautious on the bond market. I would not be surprised, as I said, to see that around 2% next year as the Fed gets a little bit more stringent on that monetary policy. Now, how does that impact the stock market? You know, I, I think you got to be very careful of those growth names. And, and we've been saying that for, for some time now, but you've seen interest rates not really move that much. I think you saw at the beginning of this year, when interest rates spiked quite quickly, you saw those growth names. And I, I'm talking about the Microsofts, you know, the Amazons, your Teslas. I, I think they can struggle immensely when that interest rate does spike. And as I said, I would not be surprised to see it move quickly in 2022. So I, I would say really focus on the, the value names that, that can benefit from it. 
and, and you hear people talking about, oh, well, the Fed's doing this, the Fed's doing that, the stock market's going to crash, it's going to go down, you know, 20, 30%. I'm going to sit in cash. I, I think that is the wrong thing to do here. And, and one of the big reasons I do not see a crash in the stock market and believe the right stocks can do well in 2022 is the amount of cash that is still floating around in the economy. Last week, $43 billion was added by investors into money market funds, and the total in cash equivalents for assets under management was to near a record and totaled $4.7 trillion. With all the cash out there, you know, as I said, inflation likely continuing, there's still no great alternatives to investing in good quality stocks, and I continue to be optimistic on the right stocks in 2022. And the other thing, too, that, that is out there is the, the cash amount in the economy. I mean, gosh, I, I look at the M1, M2 amounts, and what that is is the, the liquidity of the economy. M2 includes your savings accounts, your checking accounts, your money market accounts. Well, right now it stands at $21.2 trillion. I say right now that was the last reported amount, and that was from October 2021. But, gosh, $21.2 trillion in liquidity. The reason I think that that's so important is it, it creates this floor, I, I believe, on the stock market. As you get that, let's call it a 10% correction, well, you still have $21.2 trillion in, in cash that can flood that, that market to kind of create that floor. Because you see a lot of people, oh, buying opportunity, it seems like the buying opportunities come when things go down 4 or 5% even. So if we did get some type of correction, I think it would easily revert back to where we're at just because of all that cash. And it kind of giving you an example of how far we've kind of gone in terms of monetary policy and creating this liquidity. Before the pandemic in January 2020, there was just $15.4 trillion in M2. And again, the M2 is your checking and savings accounts. So we're up about 38%. That is just so much cash in the economy, which could, again, create that question of inflation. And I know the Fed has now dropped that term transitory, but I, I do believe it is here to stay, which, again, all plays into the interest rates, the stock market, and, and inflation being a, a potential problem for, for the months to come and even, even the years to come as well. Now, talking about the real estate market, cover the bond market, the stock market, let's talk a little bit about the real estate market as well. And, and many are concerned about the rising real estate market, but there's a couple of concerns that, that I do have as well. And that would be population growth over the decade from 2010 to 2020 was just 7.4%. And now for the decade of 2020 to 2030, growth is expected to only be 4%. Now, the crazy thing is the growth from 2010 to 2020 was the second lowest percentage gain in history. And, and I believe a lot of this is just stemming from people having you know, children later. It seems like a lot more people are, are, you know, have that career mindset, which is great. But it is hindering that population growth. The reason that impacts the real estate market, of course, is, well, it creates less demand for housing. So down the road, there's less demand. Housing market is still a supply of function demand. That could be problematic for the real estate market, of course, in the longer term. The other thing to point out is the mortgage payment divided by the after-tax household income ratio has climbed back to 30% after a low in 2012 of 20%. And this is a, a big problem as it's the housing affordability, essentially. What you're paying out for that mortgage. You can't afford to pay out 50% of your income into that mortgage, so you got to keep an eye on that ratio. And I'll point out, 
it did hit a high in 2007 of 35%. So it, it could climb, uh, again, above that 30%. And, and we did see kind of looking at a, a long-term chart here. Unfortunately, you can't see the chart I'm looking at. But I'll, I'll tell you, back in like 2000 through 2005, the, the mortgage payment divided by the after-tax household income ratio hovered around that, that 30% level. And then it had that drastic spike during the, the housing boom in 2006, 2007, again, to that, that 35% level. So we could see it revert back to that. But the problem I'm going to point out here is the rising interest rates. As I said, I'm a big, big believer in rising interest rates here. Your your 30-year mortgage, I'm going to call it around 3% right now, could go back up to 4 4.5% potentially over the next few years. That is going to drive up the cost of the mortgage. Now, to give you some numbers on that, I mean, let's just use a million-dollar house as an example to make numbers easy. And especially here in San Diego, it seems like... <laughs> the only thing to do is, is buy a million-dollar house. There's not many opportunities for anything less than that level. So just use a million-dollar house just for, for informational purposes here. Let's assume you use a, a 20% down payment. So that means you have to come up with $200,000 here. You take out an $800,000 loan. Now, again, you, assuming a, a 30% fixed mortgage at 3%, let's say, your monthly payment would be $3,656.17. Now let's assume that same mortgage payment at 4%. Now that monthly payment jumps to $4,102.66. So that's a difference of $446.49 per month or $5,357.88 per year. That is going to have a huge impact on the ratio for the mortgage payment to the, the income ratio. That could cause us to see that, that drive higher which would, in, in my opinion, limit the, the opportunity for housing prices to increase. Because What I did as well is I looked at saying, okay, what if the housing market goes up 10%? Well, now to get that same house and, and keep the payment the same, you would either have to come up $100,000 or you keep that $200,000 down payment, and now you would have to take on PMI. So for 15 months, your payment at 4% would be 4000 $955.07, and even after that PMI, you're looking at $4,580.07. So you're talking about, well, we'll call it a $1,000 difference between when interest rates were 3% and the housing market was 10% less. So the whole point here is you've got to be careful because with rising interest rates, the housing market can't climb like it's climbed over the last, last, last year. If we were to see another 17% increase, let's call it, in housing prices, we just would not be able to afford it. People could not afford new homes. So this is one thing I, I am keeping an eye on. I, I don't think, again, we're going to see a, a major crash in the real estate market. Uh, going back to that M2 level, there's so much cash out there that if we had, even I'll call it a, a 5%, 10% pullback in the housing market, I don't think we're going to have a, a 20%, 30% collapse just because of the liquidity out there. But I just I, I don't see the housing market appreciating much over the next decade due to, to the affordability and, and the likelihood of rising interest rates. So, so something to keep your eye on for sure, uh, especially if you are looking at buying a home, I'd say be patient. And you might get concerned over, oh, interest rates are going up. You want to make sure you don't overpay for the house as well. So there are multiple factors that, that need to be taken into consideration when buying that house. Uh, last thing I want to talk about here before going out to the calls, I do see Jim and Alpine waiting patiently. But I, I do want to talk about Chinese investments and investing in China. I mean, you always hear, and it's really been in the news lately uh, with some of the big names, but I, I can definitely see the allure 
of investing in China. I talk about the population size, rising incomes, very appealing. There's so many people in China, and, and the opportunity, as I said, for the rising incomes and the rising middle class, that is where I think the, the opportunity ensues that, that people get excited about. And there was recent data from McKinsey and Company that estimated by 2030, there could be 400 million households in China with upper middle and higher incomes. This would equate to approximately the same amount as the U.S. and Europe combined. So a lot of potential for money there. Other thing is looking at millionaires alone, it is estimated that China could double to around 10 million by 2025. And, and gosh, looking at the billionaires, China has now amassed 1,058 people that were living there last year that, that had that billionaire status, which compares to 696 in the U.S. Now, big positives I point out here. And with all that said, I still cannot stomach the idea of investing directly in China. I mean, we've, we've seen the nightmare stories, which include the, the fraud with luck and coffee, where that stock was, oh, it's going to be the next Starbucks. It's so fantastic. Well, their numbers were fraudulent. Stock collapsed. People lost tons of money on luck and coffee. Now, too, we talk about Didi. Didi was the Uber of China. You know, it's taken over. There's such a big opportunity there. Listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, China wasn't very happy with DD and the way they approached it. Now, all of a sudden, they're delisting from the New York Stock Exchange, and we've seen that stock fall about 50%. And, and I, I just, I got to say, I believe the government has too much power there, which makes it hard for the private companies to prosper. The, the, the government has to like you in China for you to do well. That's too much risk for me to take on personally. I, I'd rather get exposure through U.S. companies that have sales in China. Uh, that way, I still know there's a risk the company could be removed from the country or they could have issues with the government. But at least I still own a company with numbers I can trust and has sales in other countries as well. So a lot of people talk about the big names. I'm going to call it Alibaba. Well, look at the 52-week high here, $274.29 for the company. Now it's trending around $120 a share. I brought up Didi. The 52-week high for that mobility company, $18.01. Now it's current price, $6.30. Neo, the, the electric car manufacturer that, that's going to take on Tesla, and it's going to be the next big thing. 52-week high, $66.99, the current level, $30 a share. Baidu, the, I'll call it the Google of China, you know, the uh, search engine, $354.82, 52-week high, current price, $140. You might be saying, oh, buying opportunity. I, I would avoid these companies. As I said, we, we now know DD is delisting from the New York Stock Exchange. I would not be surprised to see some of these other Chinese companies as well delisting from, from the stock exchange. And, and a big reason for that is you, you've actually seen the SEC and the U.S. government here get a little bit more stringent on, on these Chinese companies. And, and the S Securities and Exchange Commission did actually adopt amendments to finalize rules to implement the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act also known as the HFCAA, and this law was passed last year after Chinese regulators repeatedly denied requests from the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, which was created in 2002 to oversee the audits of public companies, and that's to inspect the audits of Chinese firms that list and trade in the United States. And, and the whole idea here is the SEC's job is to protect the U.S. investors. Well, if they can't get into the books for these Chinese companies and really be able to audit those numbers, how safe are they? So I, I do agree with the SEC and, and, and the government in this case of stepping in and, and trying to get a closer look. But with that said, I, I don't think China is going to be too fond of that plan, which is going to cause 
problems for these Chinese listed stocks in the United States. I wouldn't be surprised to see them just list in Hong Kong over time as they want to avoid the, the conflict with the United States and kind of keep all that data private. And the other thing, too, with China is I don't see our, our relations, unfortunately, improving. I mean, we we, we have had issues, and, and President Xi there wants to be the world's superpower. And we have to be careful by letting that country get too much power. Uh, I, I think we do need to kind of stand our ground here, and, and you got to be able to audit those books. That, that's an important thing to protect U.S. investors. And, and that's one reason we always say at our firm, we'll only invest in U.S. companies because we understand gap accounting. I, I still don't feel comfortable with what's going on over there in China to, to, to invest in one of those Chinese companies. So be careful with them. You might think they're a buying opportunity uh, with the, the huge declines you've seen, but you could get yourself in a world of hurt if they do start to delist. It, it makes the whole investing process much, much more complicated. So with that, I, I do want to start going out to the calls. You want to join the show here, 833 288 Again, that's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three, and, and with that, let's go out to Alpine and speak with Jim. Good morning, Jim. You're on the Smart Investing Show with Chase Wilsey here. How, how can we help you? Hey, when the cat's away, the mice will play, Chase. <laughs> exactly. You know, the show goes on, as they say. Yeah, well, that's true. And I, frankly, I, I, I always very much appreciate your narratives on the stocks. I know you guys go over the numbers and everything, but you know, you're your subjective comments, and actually I call them objective and subjective comments, are very valuable to me. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, and speaking of China, how much, I mean, oh. I thought Did we uh, get a little feedback there? Of, hello? Yeah. Testing, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. There was a little feedback from it, uh, but I, I, I was hearing you say you appreciate the narratives on the stock. So uh, not a problem there on giving the narratives. So. Well, uh, continue on with what you were saying. I apologize for the feedback there, Jim. Oh, that's all right. Anyway, I was saying I appreciate your narratives, uh, your subjective comments, although they're probably objective and subjective <laughs> numbers. But I really appreciate your, your feeling for the whole situation. Of course. You talk about China, and I seem to recall that they buy an awful lot of our Treasury notes. And, uh, you know, we're talking about the Taiwan issue and all that stuff, but I'm going, well, how much of China – is in the United States in the form, you know, how much do they buy of the treasury notes and how much do these foreign, uh, we'll use the term adversaries, you know, buy of our notes that we could freeze if, if life got tough. Yeah. And I know this, this used to be a huge issue and I know we want to talk about something else too, but the, uh, the China issue, the, the notes used to be much, much more problematic. I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, but we did a, a post, a discussion on this, uh, several months ago and, and the Chinese amount of our, our, notes has really declined over time and <laughs> probably a portion of that has come from the amount of notes that we've issued <laughs> but uh positive sure. as a percentage basis china controls a lot less of the notes that they they did several years ago so it's still somewhat of a concern but not nearly as big of a concern as it used to be and, and we always say too if, if china dumped all those notes let's say they would take a huge hit on, on their notes because you would flood the economy the the price of the bonds would collapse be a big issue for them as well. So I, I don't foresee that, but uh, as I said, don't have the exact numbers on, on the China bonds at this time. Yeah, I was looking at more of a strategic advantage, yeah. like, uh, you know, freezing freezing foreign accounts if uh, things got a little strange. Yeah. You know, what it would cost them to, you know, to get crazy with us, so to speak. Anyway, let's get on to SO. I used to own it. I'm looking at getting it again. It's uh, 
we talked about PPL last week. You gave me a lot of stuff to think about and uh, remembered SO and Let's go over that if you don't mind. Yeah, not a problem. So, uh, again, the, the company here that we're going to talk about is the Southern Company. Yep. Ticker symbol is SO. It is a utility company. It looks like regulated electric. Uh, not surprised here. Not much short percentage of float at just 1%. I don't think oftentimes right. people short uh, utility companies because there's not that, as big as an opportunity. They're, they're a little bit more stable than, than some of, let's say, your high-flying tech well, companies. It's uh, and, point five, you know? What was that? It's got a beta of 0.5. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does move around. A lot of times people obviously don't want to short them because there's not that opportunity here. Uh, looking at institutional ownership, though, just 60.5%. Uh, turn of the valuation is always very important that we look at what we're paying for the, the earnings of a company. That's 239 for Southern. Is better than the industry average at 243 Well, price to sales, 3.2, higher than the industry average at 24 Price to tangible book value at 3.1, that is better than the industry average of 12.3. And price to cash flow at 10.9, slightly higher than the industry at 10.4, but not anything astronomically different there. Looking at the growth here, earnings per share over the last one year, they have declined 6% when the industry was up 13.7%. And over the last five years, earnings have climbed on average by 1.1% per year for Southern. Uh, surprise here, sales up 11.4% for Southern. Over the last year, which is better than the industry, which declined 1%, I'd say surprise because sales up 11%, earnings down 6%. What happened there? I'm not sure if perhaps fossil fuels had, had some issues with the you know payments for the electric grid and so forth that caused the cost for the companies to rise, which could mean they could be raising their prices next year to offset those costs, but would want to understand why, again, sales rose and earnings declined. Over the last five years, those sales have climbed on average 4.2% per year, uh, again, over the last five years. Looking forward, EPS growth for the next five years, S may be 6.5%. That is a, a positive to get that growth there for the company. does also show a nice peg forward ratio of 3.5, which is, is reasonable for the business. Looking at the dividend, I know you like your dividends there, Jim. Uh, get a yield of 4%, so a nice yield on the company, but a little disappointed here is the payout ratio is 91.9%. This is a very elevated amount there. And I know a lot of times the, the utilities, they will pay out more on that payout ratio, but still 92%, that, that, that's quite high. Turning to the balance sheet. Is there, is there anything, I mean, is there, like, like REITs have a 90% mandatory payout ratio. Is there any sort of mandatory stuff with utilities that you know of? There's nothing mandatory with the, the utilities. Uh, I do know that, you know, it's not a tech company that, that's going to have as much in, let's call it, research and development. So generally they don't have as much of that going out. Uh, one thing that, that I would be, I, I guess, a little bit surprised about, and especially with a company like we saw with uh, PG&E, with, you know, you got to keep those, you know, uh, utilities up to date, so forth. I, I think the CapEx would be quite high for this industry. I, I haven't owned a utility in years, so I haven't really spent as much time looking at the, the capital expenditures that are required for the business, but 92% uh, just seems high. I feel like they need to, to keep their business up to date, and, and it might be too much going towards that dividend and, and not, you know, uh, making sure the business is, is growing and, and, and making sure the, the factories and the plants are, are staying uh, with the, the highest technology that they can. So uh, that is concerning. I, I, as I said, I don't think there is a requirement for the amount of earnings they've paid out. Okay. But look, looking at the balance sheet, current ratio here is 0 0.9 above the industry average, 0 0.8. So liquidity is 
just fine for the business. I, I do know a lot of times utilities do have a little bit lower of current ratio. Uh, looking at the debt to equity, though, 190%. And utilities generally do have higher debt industry, is a higher debt industry than, than your other industries. Uh, industry average, though, 150%. So 190% higher than I'd like to see it. Don't like to see that. Looking at the day's inventory, 67.7. That is above the industry average of 47.8. Like to see that lower. And day sales outstanding. That looks good at 29.7, below the industry average of 49.5. Turning to the net margin for this company, the profit margin, you see it's 13.4%. That's strong as above the industry average of 9.5%. Return on equity, well, that's 10.3, above the industry at 7.2. And return on invested capital, also strong at 58 above the industry average of 5.5. Now turning to the current price for Southern, $66.84. It is near its 52-week high, $68.21. And the 52-week low, well, that's $56.69. You see a year-to-date return here of 13.4% for the business. As always, we want to go forward and, and see what we're paying for the future earnings of this business. I go out to 2022. I see estimated earnings per share is $3.53. Well, that would give us a target sell price of $58.60. So we, we do see it is pretty much, I'm going to call it fairly valued here for the business. Uh, I, I just, I'm still call, cautious on the utility sector. I, I think especially with rising interest rates, the sector generally struggles as they, they do have a lot of debt. They have to now refinance at higher levels. Uh, I know you get that nice 4% dividend, but I, I just don't see much in terms of stock appreciation. And we talk about this a lot too with the utilities is for years, utilities didn't trade above, you know, 15 times earnings, two times sales. And now I believe a lot of this stems from where interest rates are at. They've far exceeded those levels. So I, I'd be very, very cautious with the utilities. I, I know the allure is the income, but I, I just don't see much in terms of the, the capital appreciation in terms of the stock price. Yeah. And your comment about interest rates, we haven't even started talking about the, uh, the amount of the U.S. budget that goes towards paying the interest on those bonds. That's like 40% of the budget, as I recall, and when interest rates go up, that's what we need is interest to be 50% of the budget. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, I talked about the house and how in housing and how interest rates can impact that, but not the federal government. Yeah, <laughs> you go from 1.5 to 2.5, now all of a sudden you're refinancing the U.S. government debt at a higher level and your interest payment goes up. So that's a great point there, Jim. All right, pal. Well, listen, I always appreciate your thoughts, and thanks again for the extended in, uh, the view on SO this morning. And, you know, have a great Christmas, and uh, are you, you guys are not doing next Saturday, Sunday's or Saturday's show, I'm guessing. Yeah, we're, we're going to be taking next week off. I was going to save that announcement for the end of the show, but I'll probably repeat it in last show, 2021. So, uh, you know, I guess what, what we'll say here, Jim, is we'll talk to you in 2022. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I'm guessing you're taking you know, the first off, too, so two weeks in a row, but that's just a guess. <laughs> we, we have an educational kind of show that we'll run on, on the first, yes, but uh, we won't be here live, unfortunately. Talk to you next year, pal. Thanks yeah. again. All right, Jim. Not a problem. Great talking to you, as always. All righty. Uh, next up, let's see here. You want to join the show, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. But next up, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Jairus. Haven't talked to Jairus in a while, so uh, how are we doing, Jairus, on the Smart Investing Show with with Chase Wilsey here? Oh, doing great, Chase. Uh, before I forget, Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to both you and your dad. Uh, looks like he 
he's taking a, a day off today and the next couples. But uh, doing really good. Keep listening to you guys every every weekend, and I sure miss the two-hour show. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there, but hopefully you guys get back to that. But uh, anyways, I uh, want you to take a look at Ally Financial. All righty. Do, do you hold that? Or you, do you hold that, or are you looking at buying it? No, been looking at banks this week, and that's one of them that I I thought looking at some numbers has uh, some good potential. So want to want to see your feedback on that. Yeah, and uh, it is one that that I I kind of look at in terms of the financial sector. We talk about the rising interest rates. Generally, your, your financial companies can can do well especially if that yield curve can, can steepen a little bit as their net interest margin uh, will actually improve. They, they are one of the, the sectors that can benefit from rising interest rates. Actually, we, we do our, our YouTube channel now, Smart Investing with Print Chase Wilsey on YouTube. I took a look at uh, Citigroup yesterday because I think there's just opportunity here with the financial company. So I, I'm glad you're calling in about Ally Financial. Again, that ticker symbol is A-L-L-Y. And before I get into the numbers, I forgot to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and your family as well there, Jarvis. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you so much. And before I forget, uh, uh, wife and I have uh, been talking to her about you guys and sharing uh, from your website. And I, I, In fact, I, I had her watch a little bit of the city, city group yesterday. Good. And then uh, also uh, FT Footlocker. Um, she's warming up to you guys, so maybe we'll we'll set up a meeting for early next year. That sounds great. That sounds great, and we will return to workshops as well next year. So either way, oh, we, yeah. we hope that we get to see you there. <laughs> sounds great. Sounds All right. Great. Thank you. Well, perfect, perfect. So let's take a look at here the numbers for Ally Financial. Uh, starting with the short percentage of float, I, I see it's three percent. Nothing to be too concerned about, but a little bit higher than I anticipated. Wow, institutional ownership, 96.6%. Uh, not much on the retail side, much heavier, again, on, on the institutional side. The valuations for this company, I I just got to say, wow, uh, price to earnings multiple, 5.6. Below the industry average of 19.3. Price to sales at 2.1, well below the industry average of 5.5. Price to book, well, that's 1.1, below the industry average of 4.6. And price to cash flow at 4.1 is below the industry average of 15.5. I do see this company is in credit services, so it's not like a money center bank. It's not. We talked about Citigroup a little bit. It's not like a Citigroup. It seems like it is in credit services where they focus their attention. Now, looking at the growth here, I do see earnings per share over the last one year. Well, that's up 299.5% above the industry average of 74.1%. I, I do wonder, I pointed this out yesterday when I was looking at Citigroup, is we, we know these these banks, these financial companies had a lot of loan loss reserves that they had to put on the books during the COVID crisis, I'll call it. So that hindered earnings a lot. Well, now as the economy has improved, those loan loss reserves have now come off the balance sheet and they've been a big benefit to the earnings. I wonder if that's why you've seen a huge one-year change there. But obviously a 300% change in earnings per share is not sustainable going forward. So we want to understand what happened with their earnings there especially when you look at the sales over the last one year, just up 20.9%, but that is still better than the industry average of 11.5%. Like in the last five years, though, sales have grown just 3.2% on average per year, trailing the industry average at 8.1%. And moving forward, earnings per share estimated to grow at 7.3%, well below the industry average 24.9%. So we want to understand where this company is getting its growth from, where the, those opportunities do lie. You do get a, uh, a decent dividend yield here of 2.2% for the company. Payout ratio just 9.9% though, so it tells me there's plenty of room to increase that, that dividend yield here. 
looking at the balance sheet, to, again, as a financial company, so the, the earnings are a little bit different. Excuse me, not the earnings. The balance sheet's a little bit different as, you know, loans or assets. The, the accounting just looks a lot different for financial companies. I see a debt to equity, though, of 90%. Nothing to be concerned of for, for this business, but would want to take a closer look here. Uh, looking at the margin, I do see it's 38.4%. That is a profitable financial company, especially as I see the industry average is 28.8%. I see a good return on equity here, 17.9%, and return on invested capital of 16.2% also looks very, very strong. Now, looking at the current price, $46.24 has fallen from the 52-week high of $56.61, which was hit in June of this year. And the 52-week low, well, that was $33.40, and that did occur a year ago on uh, December 21st. So we have seen a, I'll call it an upward trend in the stock as a year-to-date return, well, that's up 32.1%. And, and I'm not too familiar with Ally, but it is a decent-sized company at a $16 billion market cap. Do you use Ally Financial for anything there, Jairus? Um, I do use it, uh, I believe, for like a online savings account uh, for, for some cash, but that's about it. Okay. Yeah, because I, I think I've seen them advertise they have a little bit higher, uh, you know, savings rates, and, and now higher is still not that high. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, like 0.2 more than everybody else. Right? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> instead of getting, you know, the 0.1%, maybe you get the, the 0. 0.4, 0.5%, but, uh, you know, still. Exactly. That That's what I meant by higher. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, let's see, looking at, at the, the earnings going forward for Ally, I do see next year, 2022, estimated earnings per share of $7.25. Gives us a very attractive target sell price here of $120.35. Now, as I said, the, the earnings spiked this year. This year, they're estimating $8.55. So that next year's level of $7.25 is substantially lower. But I, I do, again, wonder if that has to do with the loan loss reserves. But if not, I, I'd need to know why are the earnings falling so drastically? Was that a dollar and thirty cents per share? That, that's a pretty huge decline. Okay, I understand. Uh, have to look a little deeper then. Yeah, and and on the surface, I I think you have a a very interesting company here. I think there's some great potential, uh, but as always, definitely need a little bit more research here. Okay, appreciate that and. And before we, before I go, Chase, I know you probably won't mention it because uh, you, you don't do it too often. But uh, I'm looking at some numbers and for my charity donations for the year. Yes. And like last year, uh, uh, sent over some money for Fighters Fight Foundation, and uh, definitely going to send some over this year. Just crunching the numbers, see what I can do this year. And really appreciate what you do there. Well, well, thank you, Josh. Yeah, it's really helpful. And, and since you brought it up, uh, I'll let you know right now we're we're doing uh, five Christmases for women with breast cancer. Um, three of them are, are single moms, so it, it it really goes directly to the women. You know, nobody on, on my staff takes you know any salaries or anything like that. There's no overhead. We don't do any you know parties or anything for our staff members. It, it all goes towards the women. So we really do appreciate that. I appreciate that, and uh, you know, every donation really helps us out and helps helps out the women we support. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thank you, f- thank you for calling, Jairus. I appreciate that, and uh, appreciate your kind words and kind donations for for the Fighters Fight Foundation. Uh, we will have to talk to you in 2022, and uh, look forward to talking to you then. Excellent. God bless. Good night. All right. Bye, Jairus. All righty. Again, you want to join the show here? It's eight three three two eight eight. 
0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. I do see we have Carl and Oceanside and John and Coronado and uh, Harrison, our financial planner, just called in as well. But I do want to take one more call before we go to Harrison. So let's go out to Oceanside and speak with Carl. I see he wants to talk about bonds here. So Carl, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Chase Wilsey. How can I help you this morning? Well, by the way, I lost on the Chinese Lucan's coffee. I made and lost, but I lost more than I made. But my question is, I learned my lesson from the Chinese uh, stockings. <laughs> Got to be careful <laughs> with those Chinese stocks. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, I noticed the I-bonds pay over 7% interest. Now, if inflation stays that way or maybe go higher, the bonds should pay also a good interest rate. Yes, and the, and the I bonds, I, I haven't looked at these in quite some time. Um, are these treasury bonds? Where, where do you find these I bonds? I stands for inflation, inflation yeah. bonds. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up and they pay from November till April, 7.13%. And then it will reset again uh, for another half year. Interesting. Yeah, you, you know, you know, Carl, I, I, I got to say, you stumped me here. I haven't looked at the I-bonds in too much detail. I, I pulled it up very briefly. I do see what you're talking about. The initial interest rate on, on new series I-savings bonds is 7.12%. Uh, so you can buy the I bonds at that rate through April 2022. Uh, so I, uh, to be honest, it, it sounds intriguing, but you know, how are, are they paying a seven percent interest rate when the ten-year note's at 1.4 percent? Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad investment. I, I'm not saying it's going to go bankrupt or anything or not pay you the interest rate, but definitely have to understand where they're getting that excess interest from because it's. That's a very high rate, and I don't know how long that duration is for. Maybe they, they only pay it for a short period of time, and then it's extremely low. But um, interesting interesting bond to take a look at here. A 7% interest rate sounds intriguing, but as I said, what's the, the viability of that bond? Well, it is a government issue. I, so uh, do we trust the government? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, on the ten-year notes, we, we do know it's it's backed by the full faith of the government, but faith and credit of the government. On the I notes, as I said, I'm not super familiar with them, so um, I, I understand it's a government instrument, but I, I don't know enough details on on where they're coming from and and again how long they're paying that out for. So there's definitely a lot more to look into. Um, what I I might do here is I, I might pull it up and. Uh, maybe have you call back here in a, a couple weeks so I, I can take a closer look at it and we can have a, a better discussion uh, beginning of 2022. Yes, okay, thank you. Does that sound good? All right, Carl, well, well that sounds great then. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll table that conversation for 2022. I appreciate you calling in and I uh, look forward to talking to you next year. Yes, thank you, bye. All right, have a good day, Carl. All righty, that does open another phone line.
833-288-0973. Again, phone number here is 833-288-0973. And again, I do see John Coronado. Thank you for waiting patiently. Uh, but I do want to go to our financial planner, Harrison, uh, real quick here before we go to, again, John and Phil and San Marcos as well. So with that, uh, Harrison, we got you there. Yes, Chase, how you doing? Doing well, you know, a little lonely in the studio without Brent, but uh, we're, we're managing. <laughs> so hopefully um, hopefully Carl's still listening, so I can talk a little bit real quickly about those uh, Series I bonds. That wasn't what I was going to talk about today, but um, so the way that works is it's 7.12%. That lasts for the first six months of the term of that bond. Those bonds are... The total maturity is 30 years, but you can surrender them before that. But um, you're limited to buying $10,000 worth of bonds per person per year. And they're they're being offered right now and, as you said, until April of next year. So really the most one person can buy is $10,000 right now before the end of the year and then another another $10,000 um, in January. So when you look at it's six months worth of interest at 7.12%. So really on that $10,000, you're really getting a return of like three and a half percent because after that six months, it goes back down. So basically to maximize the benefit per person, you could buy 10 grand now, another 10 grand again in January, redeem them after 12 months because you have to wait at least 12 months um, in order to redeem them. And then by doing this, you get a total interest um, of about $712. So um, that's kind of what it looks like in a nutshell. So you're, it's not like you can put a huge sum of money in there and make a lot of interest. The most interest you could get is 712 bucks um, in about 12 months' time. So, and when you say it drops uh, back down after six months, does it go to what rate? Uh, like the Fed funds rate uh, or something? Yeah, essentially nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so well. I, I've had some people ask about that, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah, 7.12% is high, but it's only temporary, and then it drops back down. And technically what happens is these bonds can be redeemed anytime between um, 12 months and uh, to, to after that. But um, if you redeem them before that, you or at 12 months essentially, the last three months of interest is forfeit, which – in that case, that inch, that would be a low rate anyway because it'd be months 9, 10, or 10, 11, and 12, um, which is low interest anyway. But um, not a, in my opinion, not a ton of interest that you can get relative to how much um, you'd have to put in there. So. Yeah, I I figured. I mean, it, it kind of sounds like a, <laughs> an annuity when they offer you know the huge bonuses up front, but yeah, your money's tied away. It sounds kind of similar. You get a 7.12 percent interest rate. Wow, that's so great. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm glad you were able to look into it because I had I, I hadn't really looked at them in too much detail, and yeah, sounds too good to be yeah, true. I've it probably is. People, I've had some people ask about them, so I've looked into them a little bit. But uh, anyways, so uh, last live show of the year, I had a couple things I want to talk about. I'll let you um, tell me when you want to go to John and Coronado Chase. But um, one thing I, I, you know, I, I think I want to point out. This is a time of the year where a lot of people are looking at tax stuff. And um, one thing that uh, you might want to consider, I, I did this with a client recently, is um, if you're looking back at the year and your income was higher than what you were expecting it to be, which means you might be in a higher bracket than you thought you were going to be, meaning you're paying more in taxes, 
one thing you can look at is if you are using an IRA as an income source, when people are in retirement, sometimes they have like a monthly draw from an IRA, all of that's taxable. Well, one thing you can do if you're doing that and your income is too high, then you can take your last distribution from your IRA and put it back into the IRA and therefore it won't be taxable. Technically, it's an indirect rollover. I've talked about it a little bit in the past, but this is something that um, might be appropriate to do here at the end of the year if you're trying to reduce your overall AGI and taxable income. Yeah, and, and yeah, I remember talking to you about that a little bit yesterday, but it is something that I, I think people just don't really think about. And, and, and the big thing that, that it does is it, it I'm going to say, manipulates your income a little bit to, to help save on taxes, right? That's really, that's really what it is. So, um, you know, it, anything helps, especially if you're close to whatever that bracket looks like. Um, if your tax income goes a little bit higher than you wanted to, you know, you, you have some little flexibility. Um, another thing, maybe your long-term, short-term gain situation didn't work out the way you were looking at. Um, you know, most people know short-term capital gains have a higher tax rate than long-term capital gains. Um, but what some people don't know is that you can use short-term losses or long-term losses to offset short-term gains. So the way that kind of works is at the end of the year, you look at all of your short-term gains and losses. Those will be net out. And then you look at all your long-term gains and losses. Those will be net out. And then those two nets offset each other. So if you look back at the year and you've got a short-term capital gain, and no short-term losses to offset it, you can look to see if there's any unrealized long-term losses that you can actually use to offset the short-term losses and then save a lot in taxes because it, that loss will then all the uh, ordinary income rate deduction. And uh, you know what we're talking there, I, I just I think it's so important with financial planning is it, it really you can have that plan at the beginning of the year. I just kind of said you sold something, I talked to some people, yeah, I wasn't planning on selling my house, and I sold my house in the middle of the year, and you have this huge kind of tax event. You can have a great plan at the beginning of the year, but it's so dynamic where it comes November, December. Now you kind of know what's happened in the year, and you have to be able to uh, you know, kind of act quickly to, to make sure you take advantage of these different opportunities, right? That's, that's exactly right. We can't make every decision right now, and everyone's lives are dynamic, and the world around us is dynamic. So we need to continually be doing the right things to always be moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I, I think that's the big thing that people miss with financial planning is they think they'll, they'll make a plan today, and in 10 years from now, I, I think they think it'll be right. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think there's so much more that goes into it. it there really is, and I, I think there's probably a lot of advisors out there that do the same thing. Okay, we'll do this plan, and then I really just want to sell you this stuff, or I really just want to manage your assets or whatever, but the plan itself needs to always be evolving and always be changing as well. Yeah, and, and I know you, you gave kind of two tips there, but uh, any other uh, good tips that people can kind of take advantage of before uh, the December 31st, I'll call it deadline, but end of the year? Well, um, another thing to look at, if you if your taxable income is a little bit higher, we've got uh, probably one, maybe two paychecks between now and December 31st, you might want to consider increasing your 401k contribution. That will um, give you a little bit more of a deduction to help offset your income there. Uh, it might make sense to do some Roth conversions. Roth conversions have a December 31st deadline, but um, 
know, I'll also watch out for what your how much Social Security have and what uh, type of long-term capital gain and dividends you have because even if that conversion is at uh, like the 12% tax rate, for example, that could result in you having to pay more taxes on your Social Security income and it could push long-term capital gains and dividends up into the 15% bracket as opposed to the 0% bracket. So now that 12% tax on the conversion really became 30-something percent because of the Social Security and, and dividend taxes. So, um, you know, got to watch out for how the whole thing kind of fits together. Interesting. Well, uh, one other thing, too, I want to bring up was that uh, Jairus talked about uh, donating to charity, and, and I know there is a amount that is a, I, I believe it's above the line deduction. Well, what are those amounts again? Yeah, so um, this is actually different than last year. So okay. last year in 2020 with COVID, um, a tax return, so whether you file single or joint, um, per return you could make a cash donation of up to $300 whether or not you itemize. Now that has to be done before the end of the year. Um, this year that has changed, so now it's, uh, what did I say, $300? $300 per return it was last year. This year it's $300 per person. So if you file jointly, you and your partner that you file with can each make a cash donation of up to $300 for a total of $600 and get that full deduction. That's on the federal side. Um, and again, most charitable donations go on your Schedule A, so you have to itemize in order to actually get the tax benefit. But this is something new where you can still claim the standard deduction like most people are now, and you can still donate to charity up to $600 um, per couple and get a full full tax deduction. Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, uh, I do want to let you go. I, I, I know i got a couple callers here, so I want to make sure we get to them before uh, the end of the show. So, as always, Harrison, I uh, appreciate uh, your, your wisdom when it comes to the financial planning side. Thanks, Chase. And uh, hello, John. I know you're next in Coronado. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you later, John. <laughs> All right, Harrison. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. And, uh, again, that, that's Harrison Johnson, our, our financial planner. And uh, if you're looking for something that, that really kind of you can put your arms around, there's a lot of different financial planning tools that, that you might be missing to help save on taxes, the estate planning. There's so much, the cash flow analysis, the, the Social Security that Harrison really focuses on, and that's all he does, financial planning. He's on a salary, so he sells no products. He just does the financial planning side of the business, and, and he's he's done a great job. Many of our clients are, are very, very happy with what Harrison has provided. So you want to make an appointment with Harrison, you can call the office at 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858 858- Five four six four three zero six, or go to our website smartinvesting2000.com again that's smartinvesting2000.com and I want to give one more plug real quick for my charity if you are looking at charitable donations don't know where to put them uh, check out my charity fightersfightfoundation.com again that's fightersfightfoundation.com and it is a, a charity for women suffering from breast cancer with that let's go out to Coronado and uh, let's speak for with John. I appreciate you holding there, John. I know you've been holding for quite some time. So uh, welcome to the Smart Investing Show. How can we help you this morning? Right, Chase. Tell you what, the stock I'm looking at is Ford Motor Company. All righty. Yeah. And uh, do you hold this one, John? You know, it's one I don't hold. Really? Um, but, uh, but I'm kind of looking at it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought this might fit the bill for, I know you've talked about, you know, Caterpillar and, and other stocks like that in the past. I, yeah. I thought you might be a Ford guy here. 
Well, you know, I was I was years ago, and then the stock was just kind of stuck around seven bucks. Um, you know, sold out of that position, but it's kind of moved back up to twenty around nineteen now. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering if uh, it still has legs to go a little bit higher. All right, and and gotta ask you, do you own a Ford? I don't. Okay. <laughs> no worries there. I not have, a problem. Though. Okay. I have, though. <laughs> <laughs> you can still buy the stock and not buy a Ford. That that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With that, let's take a look at here the the numbers for Ford. Uh, obviously, we know it's an auto manufacturer, one of the, the biggest ones here in the United States. Uh, short percentage float, not very high at one point nine percent. Decent amount of retail investors in the in the company's institutional ownerships, just fifty three point nine percent. Look at the price to earnings. Uh, quite surprised by this twenty eight point three above the industry average nineteen point seven. I'm going to assume there there was some some write offs or something that, that did occur with Ford. I have not seen them trade at twenty eight times earnings in a long, long time. So I'm guessing this has something to do with accounting, especially when you look at the price to sales at zero point six, which is below the industry average one point one. I mean you're not paying very much for the sales at all. Price to tangible book value, well, that's 2.2 below the industry average of 4.6, and price to cash flow at 4.7, also below the industry average of 9.3. Now, looking at the earnings per share over the last one year, nothing there, as I, I'm guessing they declined. Uh, earnings per share over the last five years, down 17.3%. Again, I, I'm going to assume here they had a, a major write-off that was, uh, I'm going to call it a non-cash expense. That occurred. I'm sure they had some issues with semiconductors and so forth as well. But we want to understand what that write-off was. Over the last one year, those sales were up 2.8 percent, less than the industry average of 13.4. But I see they still grew. Over the next five years, earnings per share growth is estimated to be 77.7 percent. That's a huge, huge growth rate. Uh, again, I'm assuming they're coming off of a write-down that will not be occurring in the future years. So to kind of get them back on track, they're going to have some huge earnings growth in the next couple of years uh, on, on that level. Looking at the dividend, you get a, a 2% yield with Ford. A decent dividend there. I know they have reinstated it. GM has not reinstated that dividend yet. So Ford did beat them to that punch. And the payout ratio right now is 0%. I'm wondering if that has something to do again with the income statement at this time. Turning to the balance sheet, current ratio 1.2, good liquidity there. Debt to equity, though, 400%, very high debt. Now, one thing I always talk about with the auto manufacturers is I generally don't get concerned about it. I want to know what's going on with the operational debt because they also have financing that, as I talked about with Ally Financial, can really skew the balance sheet. So I'd want to look at the operational debt for Ford to make sure they don't have too much debt there. They are one of the large auto manufacturers that actually made it through the financial crisis without filing bankruptcy, so kudos to them for that. Day's inventory, though, 42.6 below the industry average of 226.5. I like to see that number, very efficient. Day sales outstanding, though, 117.5 above the industry average, 47.2. I'd like to see them be able to collect on their sales a little bit quicker. Uh, Net margin, 2.1%, well below the industry average of 6.1%. Return on equity at 7.8, below that 15 number I like to see, and also 12.6 is the industry average. And return on investable capital at 5.7 is also below the industry average at 10.4. Important to point out that net margin, return on equity, and return on invested capital can all stem from that income statement problem if they did have that major write-down and could easily be fixed if that write-down no longer occurs. Now looking at the current price for Ford, $19.77. Well, 52-week high is $21.49 and the low, $8.43. I mean, this stock has been on a tear 
up 126% this year alone. So it, it's done tremendous. And I, I know they had some issues they had to overcome. I thought they were very far behind in terms of the EV and the AV race, but it, they really, I think, turned things around. And I kind of knocked the Ford Mustang Mach-E in the beginning. And now I see them on the road. I, I think they're pretty cool. And they're also expanding production quite drastically. So I think they've really gotten on the right track in terms of those two areas. I don't know enough about their autonomous vehicle side, but uh, from what I've kind of read, it seems like they're making some strides there as well. But as always, want to look forward and, and see what we're paying for those future earnings. Let's go out to December 2022. I see the estimated earnings per share is $1.98. That would give us a target sell price of $32.86. So still above that that current level of $21.49. Uh, excuse me, 1977, 2149.52 week high. So still some room for growth, I, I think, on, on Ford here, John. I'd want to understand more about their, their long-term growth trajectory and, and what they're looking at in terms of those two new spaces. But I, I think there could be some potential here. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I kind of looked at it um, also. You know, they've got some elevated options premiums looking out a year on it, too. So um, I always like to do buy rights on stocks like this yeah so um yeah yeah looks interesting okay all right well yeah the number the numbers look interesting on it as well so i I, as i said i think there's some potential and especially if it kind of fits into what you're looking at as well i I think it it could be a good one over the next five ten years yeah you bet all All right right. thanks jake all right not a problem john great talking to you as always all righty, uh, let's go out to Phil in San Marcos real quick. I, I think I can run through the numbers just real quickly for Phil here. I, uh, good morning, Phil. You're on the Smart Investing Show. How can I help you this morning? Hey, Jace. I heard you guys talking about Jabil a little while ago. Um, I heard the CFO, he sold some shares at 65. It dropped down to the 60s. I bought a very small piece, and I was curious on your take because they just released earnings. They were decent. Um I know that you mentioned a while back that Apple is a uh, heavy percentage of their revenue. Mm-hmm. I was more curious in their transcripts if you look through them as far as uh, diversifying their end markets and the vertical integration that they're doing operationally. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, we used to own J-Bill and don't long own it any longer, so I haven't read their transcripts in quite some time. So I, I, I'm not sure where they stand in terms of their end markets. I, I know in the past they, they always were trying to diversify, 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 because they knew that Apple was such a large supplier, or uh, excuse me, con- customer. I, I don't know if Apple's business continuing to climb has been a good thing for them, obviously, because their sales and earnings have gone up, but... Has it now made Apple even a larger customer for them because Apple's continued to climb their sales and earnings as well? So something that I, I'd have to, to look at uh, in the transcripts that you kind of brought up, but uh, I don't have that information. I do want to run through a couple quick numbers here, uh, running short on time, but I, the valuations on J-Bill always look quite strong. Price to earnings, 13.4. Industry average, 20.2. Uh, price to sales, 0.3 below the industry of 1.1. There's a closing bell, unfortunately, but I do see debt to equities quite high for this coming. I'd be careful. Phil, I'm sorry to cut you short. I do have to get running here do have, uh, to get through the disclosure. Thanks for calling, though. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you would like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Chase Wilsey, at 858-546-4306. Again, 858-546-4306. 
Please visit our website at smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along with investment tips, go to our Facebook group, Smart Investing, with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Uh, thank you again for listening. I hope you all had a great 2021, and we'll talk to you in 2022. And may I say-